everyone to a very unique, special, and first episode of the Here's Johnny cast. I am flying solo this week. It is Larry here. Um, Justin is out with um, some family stuff that he needs to take care of. We wish him the best. If everyone would just keep him in, their, in his thoughts, him and his family, we'd really appreciate that. So it's just me. Uh, well, I guess there's three chihuahuas sitting in here with me, so you may hear them throughout. And it's a beautiful day out, so I had the window open, so you might hear some birds or other outdoor noises. Um, we were obviously supposed to be reviewing the second Evil, De- Evil Dead game, Fistful of Boomstick, but we're not doing that. Um, Justin's the game guy, and I would never even think to tackle a game without him. So as you can tell from the title of the episode, uh, I have decided to do a... A book review. Um, my wife and I were actually moving next week, um, so I was trying to think of something that I could tackle pretty quickly, and something that I think uh, people might enjoy listening to, even if they hadn't heard or read the book. Um, there will be no spoilers for Devolution throughout the entirety of this podcast, so you can rest assured that that is not something you need to worry about. Um, I'm going to be talking about four separate sections to Devolution. The first is plot. The second is the writing style. Third is re-readability. So how, how likely am I to pick this up again and take it on one more time? And then finally, this is a horror podcast. We're going to talk about how scary it is. I also asked um, on the here's Johnny discord for people to send me their thoughts on some books. And then, um, Rachel, because she is just a wonderful person, um, put up the call on social media as well. And on her discord. And so we got a lot of feedback. We actually got two audios, uh, from people telling me what their favorite horror book is and why. So I actually got a lot of responses. I'm probably going to say this throughout the entirety of this review, but I appreciate it just so very much because this was really daunting trying to tackle it myself. But like, since like, I know Rachel is out traveling and like obviously like we're getting ready to move. I needed to get this recorded. I need to get the content out there and I wanted to give something that people would probably enjoy listening to. So I hope that as you listen, you maybe are intrigued to read Devolution, um, but also through all these other recommendations that so many other people between the Here's Johnny and Zombie Girls community reached out and shared. Um, maybe you'll find a book that you haven't heard of before and want to dive into. So with that, let's dive into the review of Devolution. Don't want you cause your feet's too big Can't you use you cause your feet's too big I love you cause your feet's too big Oh, your feet's too big Don't want you cause your feet's too big Mad at you cause your feet's too big I love you even if your feet's too big So Devolution a first-hand account of the Rainier Sasquatch Massacre is a fiction book from American author Max Brooks. He is the son of comedy legend Mel Brooks and Triple Crown actor. Um, so what that means, people don't know, there's actually only 24 who have ever done this. They have won a competitive Oscar, Tony, and Emmy. 
uh, and her name is Anne Bancroft. Croft, excuse me. Um, fun fact: Max Brooks is actually dyslexic, and when he gave an interview with NPR Fresh Air in 2017, he shared how it was that he kind of overcame this. Um, and he says, this is a direct quote, they didn't even call it a disability back then. It was just laziness, goofing off. You're not trying hard enough. You can do it, but you don't want to do it. That was the big one of my teachers. And my mother, one of the greatest, most successful actresses of her day, gave up her career, put her career on the shelf to raise me, to be my educational advocate and to teach herself about dyslexia. She took every year of all of my school books that I had to read um, to the Institute for the Blind and had them all read onto audio cassette so I could listen to my reading list. If I hadn't been able to do that, I wouldn't have graduated high school. I can literally say that not only did my mother give me my life, she saved my life. So not only was uh, Anne an amazing actress, she was also just a remarkable human being and a great mother. From 2001 to 2003, Brooks was a member of the writing team over at SNL. In 2003, Brooks wrote his first book, The Zombie Survival Guide. It was a satirical survival manual about zombies. In 2006, probably the book that most people recognize him for came out, which was World War Z, an oral history of the zombie war. It was on the same subject, the zombies, and it was set 10 years following a zombie apocalypse. In 2014, Broadway Books published The Harlem Hellfighters, a graphic novel which portrays a fictionalized account of an entirely Amer African-American 369th Infantry Regiment, their experiences in World War I. It was written by Brooks and illustrated by Kanan White. Sony Pictures has purchased the right to create a film of the novel with Caleb Pinkett and James Lasseter producing on behalf of Overbrook Entertainment. So Brooks is not just a writer, he also has acted a little bit. He has been seen in Roseanne, To Be or Not To Be, Pacific Blue, and Seventh Heaven. He has a voice acting uh, career a little bit too. He has been in shows such as Batman Beyond, Buzz Lightyear of Star Command, Justice League, and All Dogs Go to Heaven, the series. During the start of the third season of Lost Tapes, he was cast as himself in the zombie episode, telling the audience about how zombies came to be. And a show that I used to watch all the time when I was at my friend's house growing up, Deadliest Warrior on Spike TV, he represented the zombie team in the Vampires vs. Zombies episode as one of the zombie experts, along with Matt Mock, who was the founder of the Zombie Research Society. I definitely could have found a more fun career. Currently, Brooks is a senior fellow at the Modern War Institute at the United States Military Academy at West Point, New York. And a fun fact, in October 2020, Max joined his dad, Mel, at the age of 94, in Mel's first ever political endorsement, and that was for Joseph R. Biden. So, this book was recently optioned by Legendary Entertainment to become a film, um, and that actually that option took place like at the exact same time the book came out, which was like around June 2020, so we might be seeing this sometime soon. I haven't heard anything about it, though. So let's talk about plot. Again, no spoilers throughout the entirety of this. I want people to be able to listen to this episode, not only to hear my thoughts on devolution, but I also want them to hear what everybody else has to share about their favorite books. So don't worry about any spoilers throughout. The title of the book very clearly shows that this is about Bigfoot and a Bigfoot attack on people. The background to it is there is this 
ultra high tech community called Green Loop built out in the middle of nowhere. Um, and their homes are super tech-fied. Their, um, all their groceries are delivered via drones or what they have in these very bougie gardens. Um, and there are six homes in Green Loop and each of the characters are all very unique. And they all have the, they're all very different characters, which I found very, very interesting. Um, our main character uh, and her husband moved there at the behest of uh, her brother because he knows that they're having some marital problems. So he thinks getting away from the city and coming up into the wilderness and kind of being able to reconnect might help them. And the book takes place um, from the point of view of our protagonist uh, through a journal. Um, a, uh, excuse me, a journalist found her diary uh, and throughout this he has interviews with um, her brother he has interviews with park rangers he has interviews with bigfoot experts and it's all kind of interspersed as the story develops um obviously if this is a found footage or a in this case a found diary situation it's presented very clearly up front that this was found but she was not um so that's kind of sitting in the back of your head the whole time and the journey that this story goes on, um, I think is done really, 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 really well. Uh, probably one of my favorite things about the plot is that every single character in this, and it's a small cast, like I said, it's six homes, like maybe two people per home, if not less than that. Um, all these characters are unique. They all feel like people who you would run into they all feel real they don't feel satirical and they tap in brooks i think tackles a lot of really interesting not only stereotypes but personalities and how personalities and might react if they were forced into a situation such as being isolated due to this volcanic eruption and not being able to get away because the road is washed away from the volcanic mudslide and they have the internet connection and their drones aren't coming and no one's really looking for them because there's so many other bigger problems than this six community, six, six house community out in the middle of nowhere. Um, so I'll leave it at that. Uh, it's, it's, it's very intriguing. Uh, the writing style, I kind of talked about a little bit during plot and the writing style to me is just the tonal shift from when we're reading the diary to when we're reading like the journalists interviews with other people it truly does feel like two different people. I have read books where something similar to this happens and it sounds like it's just the same person, right? Like you can't really tell when the tunnel shift happens, um, who necessarily is like talking in this moment. It's, it's very kind of hard to discern. But in this one, we do talk to the park ranger and the protagonist's brother. And like we, we read like a Sasquatch Bible and like at the start of every chapter, we also have snippets from different things. One of which is something I didn't know, uh, an excerpt from Teddy Roosevelt's, one of his autobiographies where he was like one of the first people to write about a Bigfoot encounter. Um, so it's all really cool. And I think his writing style is what's so unique because the book isn't too long, it's sitting somewhere like close to 300 pages, um, but it reads fast. Um, especially after a certain point um, in the book, I would say right around the midway point, 
um, you can't put it down. Like, I think I stayed up till two o'clock in the morning and I just plowed through it because I needed to know what happened next. It was uh, really remarkable. Um, so yeah, it's about rereadability. And I just want to make a quick note that for me, when it comes to rereading a book, uh, it needs to be like one of two things. One, when I do my Audible books, with the exception of B.C. Andrews, thank you, Zombie Girls, uh, my audiobooks tend to be books that I've already read before. Um, I look at them more as like storytelling, kind of have them in the background, so that as I'm doing other things, uh, or I'm going to sleep at night, I can put a sleep timer on, not miss anything. Um, the only books that I've really reread to a great extent were some Darren Shan novels about Cirque du Freak and the Demonada. I think I've read those a few times. Um, Salem's Lot, which is my favorite horror book, which I've talked about before on the show, um, from Stephen King. Um, I've probably re reread that six, seven times. Uh, the number one reread is definitely the Harry Potter franchise. I have read that series through. I have the audiobooks. I mean, I probably read that series... When I was younger growing up, I probably, man, 40, 50 times, especially some of those earlier books, like, uh, especially as we're sitting here moving, we're going through some of my old stuff, and I came across some of my older copies of the Harry Potter franchise, and I just, they are well-loved books. Um, they, they helped a, a young me get through a lot of stuff, so, but that being said, rereading is something I really don't do. Um... So I tried to think of a situation where I would reread this. Uh, and I think like if you want like, a nice little camping trip out in the woods, I think I would bring this along. I think that Brooks does a good job of setting the scene of a camping trip and how it makes people feel and isolation. And I think it could be pretty cool, especially if you went glamping. I think it would work really, really, really well. Um, but another way... I look at rereadability is how likely am I to recommend this book to other people? Um, and the answer to that is I've already done it. Um, my f good friend, Matt, who actually submitted a little message here about his favorite horror book. Uh, I, he's currently borrowing it. I forced it upon Rachel. I know Justin is listening to the audiobook, um, And I read a lot. And this was something that I felt was really good. I thought it captured not only the essence of like what it'd be like to actually come across Bigfoot, but I think the way it portrays its characters and how real they come across and how every single character grows on goes on a journey, like a character journey, not always for the better, but they do evolve. I think it's really cool because I think stagnant characters are just really boring. Um, and so to get a novel that does that um, is a lot of fun. All right. How scary. So first off, Bigfoot. I don't know how the vast majority of my friends out there in the horror community feel about cryptids, but behind me on my wall, one of my most favorite things to say, and I quote it all the time, is I want to believe. Um, I want to live in a world where Bigfoot exists. I want to live in a world where Nessie exists. I think the world is more fun when there is mystery and stuff out there. But along with that mystery, right, is they may not want to be our friend. They may be wild animals. And I think a lot of people don't think about that a lot, right? Like you heard in the intro to this was the Harry and the Hendersons theme song, right? Like a lot of people want to think, or the, or the Sasquatch uh, beef jerky commercials. 
a lot of people don't see them as terrifying but if they do exist they are wild animals and they are going to act like wild animals it's one of the craziest things to me when people like will have pet tigers or pet alligators or pet cobras or pet snakes or whatever and it's like these are wild creatures like i think people don't understand how special dogs are because even cats like i think i know there's a lot of cat fans and i'm not going to do anything to make you guys mad but i think a lot of people can also agree that cats like kind of don't give a fuck about their owner like dogs are really really special in that regard like cats can be sweet and be special but they can also knock over your flower pot or yell at you until you fill their food dish up right and i think that dogs are like a very very special thing and i think a lot of people view these potential cryptids through the lens of a dog through the lens of the harry and the hendersons through the through the lens of like i don't know the never-ending story right but to me as someone who did get my undergraduate in zoology and who has done a lot of reading and who watches a lot of the shows like monster quest like i have this inherent caution when it comes to them because if they were to exist most likely they'll be very animalistic and most likely they are not going to understand that we are there to research or learn or to be friends they are going to see it as a source of food so for me bigfoot and the other cryptids always have a sense of mystery but they also have a very strong sense of foreboding so that helped with me the biggest thing though is that i talked about how the rainier mountain blows up volcano traps this town and then they're isolated and especially coming out of the covid pandemic um when now people are able to start going out again um people are concerts are happening again people are going back to the movie theaters i think people may soon forget just how terrible the isolation felt when you weren't supposed to leave your house you were supposed to like literally limit everything that you did i didn't go into lab for four months and even when i started going back into lab it was very restricted um and it's not only that isolation but it's the thought that like no one's coming to help you when you think about like where i live right rural ohio there you're kind of farther away and there's bigger problems there are bigger issues that are being addressed and so your fears and your anxieties and your stresses are kind of underneath everything else and that is addressed in this book about how green loop is forgotten through the hell that Rainier put like Seattle through, the people who were actually in the direct path of the mountain eruption, like no one was coming looking for them. No one came looking for them until months later. And I think that that rings really true. I think it, I think some people would have felt it, especially if you had done a lot of outdoorsy stuff. But I think, especially after COVID, I think this book would probably hit a lot differently. And then finally. I am someone who is very hooked on technology. Uh, I use my phone far too much. I'm on the computer, even though she is actively in the process of dying more than I should be. Obviously, I play um, a movie and video game podcast host. I do another podcast with Rachel about the cage movies. I'm, I'm, I'm doing a lot of technology. It's a nice, it's a, it's, it's very nice to have, but it's obviously a crutch. Um, there's a part in the book where they're talking about when like the the wi-fi goes down the cloud access goes down and our our narrator is talking to us through her diary talking about how back home she has this really nice little personal library 
but when they moved out to the middle of the nature to this eco-friendly place, she got rid of all of her books and got a Kindle. Well, a Kindle can't help you if the books aren't downloaded or if you have no power to charge it or if you can't connect to the internet and get what you need. Um, and I think a lot of people, if they were to stop and think for a second, like, what would I do if I lost access to all my technology? What would I do if I couldn't access the cloud to pull something down? What would I do if I couldn't Google something? What would I do if I couldn't ask Siri for something? How do I plant a garden? How do I do these things that at one point in time we all just kind of knew as a society, but we just come to rely on the availability of technology so much that now, hell, like, like now, I think a lot of people will be in a lot of problems. I know for myself in particular, like when it comes to cars, I'm backwards. Like I, I never really learned how to operate on them. And if people listened to last week's episode, I'll tell the story again. I went to get my oil change. I had no engine lights were checked on, nothing like that. I don't open the hood of the truck unless there's a problem and there were no problems. Pop the lid to get, start the oil change and find out that a squirrel went underneath the hood of my truck, chewed up the battery, chewed up the battery liner, chewed up the top of the hood, chewed through wires, did a thousand dollars worth of damage. And that I was literally riding on borrowed time because that wire that they chewed through was about to short. Sooner or later, it was going to short. And I never would have known that. And that's the kind of thing that, like, without, like, the ability to, like, connect with other people or talk to other people or have professionals look at things or ask professionals questions, we would lose. And I don't know. There's something very inherently scary to me about that. So for me, the big scary aspects, and, it, and I will be honest, there was a night when the Bigfoot were not out and about yet, but were kind of being hinted at, I like had a hard time falling asleep. I had to throw on some scrubs, I won't lie, to like calm calm the brain down. Um, but yeah, the big three scary parts to me are Bigfoot and how we kind of see him as a Harry and the Henderson when it's probably more like a tiger. Um, the feeling of isolation, especially compounded coming through the COVID pandemic as it becomes more endemic and as we start dealing with that. And then finally, like the loss of technology, the loss of that very real crutch that we all have and how people would react without it. So that is my thoughts on devolution. Again, no spoilers at all. I hope everybody reads it. I think it's really, really good. And if you read World War Z, I think if you allow yourself to read this, I think you would love it. So, Rachel and Justin did me a huge favor and got a lot of people to reach out to me and share their thoughts. So the first one I wanna share is from user Coffee Mug on Discord. I'm just going to use everybody's uh, Discord names so that uh, in case you don't want your real name shared, we don't. I don't make a mistake. So, her favorite horror novel is Horror Show by Greg Keane about a modern day horror writer who meets an ed wood like director named landon woody woody tells the story of his most infamous film the plot involves satanists and a sexy horror host Ooh, actually sounds very interesting i i've always enjoyed the kind of like storytelling books so that sounds fun next we have a submission from magpie magpies and stars Hi, here's a small ramble about books. I'm not sure if favorite is the right word for this book, 
but I do have a deep appreciation for it, even though I acknowledge that there are a lot of flaws. However, I found Exquisite Corpse by Poppy Z. Bright was essential to my adolescence because it was the book I turned to as I was dealing with personal trauma. It is not a comforting book to most, but for me, it was seeing people who were more terrifying than the people I was around, and it was seeing queerness as monstrous, but feeling like I am part of that. It gave me a comfort and a place to release all of those harsh, dark thoughts that I felt towards myself and the people around me. It showed me how beautifully one can depict violence and made me feel like less of a weird, queer, broken kid because, hey, I could have turned out so much worse. Interesting. Um, I think that's a really, really interesting take on that. I've never read it, but I have heard of that book. Um, I'm actually writing that down right now, and that will be a soon-to-be-purchased book to add to my collection. So thank you for sharing. Next, we have one from Explody Joe. Hey, Larry. For a horror fan, I really, I haven't really read many horror books at all, but I think my favorite is Stephen King's It. One of the most... One of the first horror movies I ever saw always have a spot, soft spot for it. The movie never really scared me, but the book is one of the only books to really get to me. Specifically, The Giant Spider, yes, I am with you, and the scene where I think Mike and Ben have to stomp all the giant spider eggs, yes, yes, horrifying, she said. And that's without the kid sex orgy. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I think I've told this story on the show before, but since we're talking books, um, Devin and I, when we like started hanging out, uh, we were talking about it, and she has a collection of pretty much every single Stephen King book first edition. Like it's very impressive. She got most of it from her mom, and she's continued it. Um, and we were talking about it, and we started, and she mentioned that scene, and I did not remember it. I probably read this book when I was like in fifth grade, sixth grade, and that orgy scene just went right over my head. I could not have told you that that happened. And she opened the book, turned to the page, and I have never been able to look at it the same way since. Like, it truly just, like, I, yeah, I could not wrap my head around that. So, yeah, that's spiders are bad enough until you even get to all that stuff. So thanks for sending that in, Explody Joe. Next, we have a message from Tilly Tilly, and she says, Hey, Larry, here's my horror novel recommendation. One of the scariest and best books I've ever read was Octavia Butler's Parable of the Sour and its sequel, Parable of the Talents. These books are more along the lines of dystopian social horror from an Afrofuturist perspective, and they're so effective as both a social critique and as an entry point into Octavia Butler. If your listeners love The Handmaid's Tale, The Road, or even Hunger Games Battle Royale, they'll love these. Her writing style is so rich and layered. Happy or unhappy reading. Um, well, I know for a fact I'll probably buy those for Devin. She loves uh, The Road and The Handmaid's Tale. I think she's got all of, uh, what's her face's, Margaret Atwood's books. So I will have to let her know about that. Thank you for sharing, Tilly. Next, we have my good friend, The P. And he says, the scariest book, books, I ever read are actually the series by R. Scott Baker, of which you read the first. I did, finally. I did finally come through and deliver. But I won't elucidate the way, the whys, since I hope you'll continue on with it, and I don't wish to spoil things. After that, I'd say is Blind Sight by Peter Watts. 
It is a sci-fi book about a crew on a spaceship sent to investigate some potential alien activity out in the farther reaches of our solar system. There are three aspects that make the book scary and make me uneasy. First, there is the claustrophobia and isolation inherent in a small crew going out in space. Second, in this future there are vampires. Oh, Matt, you've got me hooked. It's the most unique take on vampires I've ever seen. In fact, I posted a video on your Discord that is kind of a faux documentary on this particular instance of vampires. I'm sure you still haven't watched it, but you should. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm terrible. So vampires are an offshoot evolutionary dead end from the Homo sapiens, kind of like the Neanderthal bred out of existence, but genetic research has been able to isolate the vampiric gene still extant in some humans and revive the vampire species. It's all very controlled and scientific. The key here is that the vampires have unique non-human cognition, something akin to uh, autistic savant, which makes it useful to have one on this mission to see what the hell is going on around Jupiter. I keep around with a particular planet. It's an incredibly creepy and terrifying situation, a small group of humans isolated in a spaceship with their ancestral racial predator. It's very menacing and tense. The third scary aspect is related to the title of the book. Blind sight is a phenomenon that occurs in certain rare cases of brain trauma. A person will be convinced that they can't see something, i.e. a ball thrown at them, but they will still react by ducking or flinching. The brain sees it even though they don't know why they see it. Blind sight. So things get really creepy around Jupiter with the crew's cognition as there are these strong electrical magnetic fields screwing with their brains. It's wild and all close enough to actually stuff that can mess with your perception to instill some fear. Matt, I'm sure you and I are going to talk before I uh, release this podcast. I know for a fact we are. You're helping me move on Sunday, and I'm going to see you in lab. Uh, I need to borrow this book because, man, that is something really, 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 really cool. So Justin, he's very busy. Like I said, he's doing some stuff, but because he's an amazing person, he did take some time to share. Um, he's picking three books. One is Infected by Scott Sigler, Positive by David Wellington, and Monster Nation. Like I said, you're probably going to get a, uh, you're probably going to hear from the 12s at some point because I, they're, they're here with me and I have to deal with it. Guys, guys, come here. I think this is probably the perfect time to share our first audio submission, which comes from our dear friend, Randy. Hey guys, it's producer Randy from the Zombie Girls Network. And I heard that you wanted to know what horror novels uh, scared us the most. And mine isn't a novel, although it's a novella. So hopefully that counts. <laughs> but yeah, so... I think as early as high school, I had heard about H.P. Lovecraft and the whole Cthulhu mythos and this idea that there were these giant elder gods that were from, you know, beyond the cosmos and could make you go insane just by looking at them. And I thought, hey, that's pretty cool. That's a neat uh, little kind of uh, fandom, I guess, of these things. And I knew that there were role-playing games and, I don't know, audio plays and even some movies and things like that. And I never 
kind of really understood what all the fuss was about. Um, and so, you know, as an adult, I finally read Call of Cthulhu. And wow, um, I don't think any scary story has ever just instilled a sense of dread in me like that one. Um, you know, just the sense that there was something going on just under the surface of society and kind of the civilized world that was this kind of insidious, creeping influence of Cthulhu, this this elder god asleep under the ocean, you know, just in its deepest, darkest depths, uh, and that you know, there'd be this army of cultists amassing to resurrect, you know, this their elder god. And that, you know, even from the very earliest parts of the story, that, you know, they discovered uh, the little totem or the little idol of Cthulhu, and there was just all of these uh, really just dark and uh, terrible things that, that were happening as a result of this. And, you know, I don't want to spoil too much of it for those who haven't uh, read it. I just want to say you definitely should. It is horror, uh, but it is of its own type, its own uh, variety. Uh, and if you're looking for something that will really give you trouble sleeping, even if you think you know what this whole Cthulhu thing is about, uh, you, you really don't until you've read or listened to uh, this story. And yeah, uh, it stuck with me to this day as definitely uh, the creepiest thing that I have ever read. So yeah, highly recommended. Uh, Fatong, Fatong, I think <laughs> that's how I say it. And uh, yeah, Thanks for the opportunity and have fun, guys. And next, we have finally, but certainly not least, a message from Rachel. Hey, friend. This is going to be a little quick because I am recording this from my hotel room across the street from Disneyland. No big deal. No big deal. I'm not super excited about it or anything. Uh, I'm too cool for that. I'm definitely not a Disney adult, which would be super lame. Anyway, moving forward, moving forward. Scary books that I love. So I probably could come up with a cooler, better answer if I spent some time, but I just wanted to go with the two books that immediately popped into my mind, which is the one that scared me the most as a teenager and the one that scared me the most as a grown-up. <laughs> so uh, the first one, What is It? by Stephen King. I remember I read that book when my parents were in Thailand. Um, so I was home alone, like having a good old time, partying it up, drinking underage, you know, the usual good stuff. And I read this damn book and it scared the shit out of me. Specifically, I swear to God, this actually scared me. I'm not, this is not me being funny. There's a part where someone hears whispering coming out of their toilet. And I think what it was for me that makes Pennywise so scary is, yes, he's a clown. Yes, he's a monster. Yes, he eats children all those things are scary but it's the idea that he lays in wait and watches and listens and then like can slowly seduce you into coming into his lair that's just something that always freaks me out this idea of being watched um and to this day there are parts of this book that are genuinely scary to me there are other parts that are genuinely disturbing and I cannot believe they're in the book and I think you know exactly what I'm talking about Larry it's the you <laughs> blocked out. Uh, anyway, so It by Stephen King is my first answer. And then my second answer is a book called Seed by Ania Alborn. It's this short little quick breeze of a read 
Uh, it's kind of a Southern Gothic meets absolute nightmare fuel about this uh, girl. Well, I think it starts off with a boy who sees this creature watching him in the in his family cemetery um, and runs away from it. And then he grows up and when he returns, something is waiting for him. And again, it has the same sort of sense of being watched, of something lying in wait, something witnessing, something um, coming into the safety of your home under the cover of darkness to take bite its time. I don't know why that's just something that has always really, really given me the creeps. And uh, it's definitely present in Seed. So I would recommend if people are curious, again, that book was Seed by Ania, A-N-A-I-R-I-A, Allborn. Yeah. All right. Here, I hope this is what you were looking for. And I'm going to shut up and go take my ass to Disneyland. Have a good one. Bye, guys. And there you have it. I, like I said, Poppy's been this a lot. I wanted to this one more time thank everybody who sent something in. Oh my gosh, I forgot one more. Altrick, my good buddy, he did send an email and I was looking at my work email and I forgot to bring it up. He says, hey Larry, my favorite horror book is 1984 by George Orwell. I characterize it as scary since of the psychological thriller elements. I got very connected to the character as he lost his apathy and gained even the faintest glimmer of hope. By the end, I was a little too skeptical of everyday life for about a week. I think the scariest part was that all of it was relatively reasonable and plausible. Best regards, Altric. I almost forgot to read it. I would have felt like a butthead if I didn't. But like I was getting ready to say, thank you to everyone who took the time to reach out to me. Special thank you to Justin and Rachel for um, extra posting and trying to get stuff out there. Um, like I said, I'm taking finals this week. We're getting ready to move. It's been really crazy, but Justin needs to take care of his stuff, and I... I'm just so happy I was able to do anything to kind of take a little bit of stress off of him and his family. So, and then we'll head on in to the closing. Ghosts. Split souls. Monsters. Sociopathic villains. Cold-blooded murders. And nightmares becoming reality. Does this sound like horror to you? Actually, these are all things that can be found in the Harry Potter series. It can be scarier than you might think. I'm Katie. And I'm Audrey. And in our podcast, Wizard Studies, we talk about all these parts of the wizarding world and even some more lighthearted stuff. We can be found anywhere you listen to your podcasts and on Instagram and Facebook as Wizard Studies Podcast and Twitter as Wizard Studies. Now back to your regularly scheduled horror talk on Here's Johnny. All right, guys. That was it. It's going to be a short episode this week. I think it's good. I hope everyone still likes it. You'll have to let me know. Um, either let me know in Discord. You can you can be critical. I just ask for positive criticism, something that I can build upon in case I never need to do this again. Uh, there will be no around the campfire this week. I don't think anybody wants to hear me talk to myself around a bonfire. Uh, so sorry to our patrons, but I'm sure you guys understand. You guys are all just amazing people. Um, again, I really just can't reiterate how grateful and thankful I am that people sent in emails um, and sent in audio and just reached out in Discord. Like, I'm, I'm just, everyone is so kind and I really, really appreciate it. So hopefully you enjoyed this. Hopefully you take a second and read Devolution and get some Bigfoot action. Check out some of these awesome, wonderful books that other people submitted. And most importantly, until next time, stay scary. The Here's Johnny podcast 
is brought to you by Larry and Justin. You can find the show on Twitter at Here's Johnny Cast, and you can find Larry at Beaver LA. You can find Justin at Pickle Thing, and you can email the show at Here's Johnny Podcast at gmail.com. You can look us up on Facebook at Here's Johnny Podcast. As always, in the show notes, you can find links to the Discord and to the website. We are also on Instagram at Here's Johnny underscore podcast. Also in the show notes, we'll have a link to the Twitch and YouTube channels. And if you would like to support the show, you can head on over to patreon.com slash Here's Johnny podcast. Every cent goes into the show. And yeah, we just really use it to make the show better. Again, I just want to say thank you very much to our patrons. Uh, you guys help make this possible. But yeah, Patreon is the way we support the show. We aren't looking to get rich. And like Justin said, every dollar, every cent, it all goes back in. There's some pretty cool tears, so head on and look at that. But until next week, see you guys later.